So, hello and welcome to another episode of Leisure Town with Duncan and Jonathan. As always, I'm Duncan. And as always, I'm Jonathan. And we apologize for the um, gap between episodes. There was a lot that happened on, well, three fr- three or four fronts in this particular case um, since early April. So, yeah, we apologize for taking so long. We just had a lot to happen all at once. <laughs> sometimes, no matter how popular your podcast may be or how often you do it, sometimes life just gets in the way. That's all. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember who said it, but there's a quote that I like to use a lot. That life is what hap- is what gets in the way of your other plans, or something to that effect. It's probably so, said. So that effect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Apologize for the you know breaking maybe or small hiatus, but we're here now. And speaking of effects, that's a nice segue into the topic we're about to Yeah, yeah, we're going to. T- Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where uh, my first exposure to the franchise was through, um, and a lot of people will probably back me up on this, is through the, um, that's my first exposure to the title of Mass Effect, though I didn't realize, I didn't know what it was until a couple years later, was when I was looking on um, TV Tropes, um, head, what is now the Head Scratchers page for the uh, uh, reboot, <laughs> the, um, the TV series from the early 90s that... Um, put what is now, I want to say, was it Dreammaker <laughs> Entertainment? I want to say, that sounds about right. Yeah, because at the time they were mainframe entertainment, um, but yeah. Yeah, they're the one, they're the people who did the, uh, Beast Wars, the Beast Era shows for the Transformers, um, and all that junk stuff. Okay, but anyway, now, I, again, I don't know why it took so long to introduce her again, but as such, we are joined by... Sort of, an, sort of an expert analyst, if you want to uh, listen in this case, because she was when she got exposed to it, she just dove in head first. <laughs> um, it took a couple of years for that because of her situation changing. But anyway, once she got more access to it, she dove in head first, even more so than I did. Um, so we're joined once again by Ty. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> yes. Okay, so... Let's talk about first exposures, and I'll go first because I the first of the three of us anyway to to really look into it. Okay, because you all saw. Okay, if you unless you're living under a rock from like January 2012 through let's say mid May, you were at least exposed to some of the media coverage surrounding Mass Effect 3's launch. <laughs> So yeah, from like from January to March to mid May ish of 2012, um, you were at least if you there were two things there were two big things going on at that time, either and not kind of a presidential election because that was obvious for another day. They were either they built the lead up to the Avengers or Mass Effect Three <laughs> were the two yeah, things. Since there's a lot of crossover between the two fan bases, there's a good chance that crab you know, hey, the amount of excitement for each one because, you know, gaming and comics is intended to go hand in hand. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, now, 
Like I said, when you got, especially when you first got exposure, and it's like, we were, like, you know, saw like the, there was that TV spot where Garrus was doing the with monologue, and then they cut the shepherd standing there, staring at him. <laughs> but anyway, we're getting, but that, that's all uh, That's my exposure. Um, and then, and then I got the first game on my PS3. I got the first game to the PlayStation Store. And um, I want to say it was either late September or early October of 2014. So it took a couple of years. Um, and then, and then because and then there was a move involved, and so that there, and I also got in a job and it was working. Um, is it over? I already. Um, where I got in a job with um, a certain multinational. Retail conglomerate that will be unmentioned because I don't want to give them any exposure. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't we don't get a check for saying retail giants or something names. And we don't really. I mean, we're not exactly on. And I'm not. And I personally do not want to support them at, at least not at present. <laughs> um, I might change my mind later depending on circumstances beyond my control. But anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, so, but anyway, yeah, so we got, yeah, so we got Mass Effect 1, 1, in October, or September, October of 2014. I had, uh, and then we moved, and then, and then, I, it took me a year and a half to get through the first game the first time. Then I, and immediately after I got through it, I got the second one, and this is the, this is what really is puzzling. It took me only, like, four months to get through the second one. <laughs> But then, you would think <laughs> that the sequel would be a little more challenging, or at least, you know, that's what the typical um, pattern that you see. Yeah, especially because they changed a few of the controls, and also the format was changed as well, because Mass Effect 1, as we'll get into later, is more of the traditional um, role-playing style that, that BioWare used to be known for. I mean, it's, it's more like um, Knights of the Old Republic than... Um, than say Assassin's Creed is another uh, example of a franchise that started roughly the same time. Um, yeah, and then you had uh, so we got that, and then um, and then and then and then this is what really was, makes it really weird is that it only took me like two months to get through Mass Effect three, <laughs> and that was with all the other stuff going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, twenty sixteen for me was a very full year. But anyway, um, yeah, all right, so, Kai, it's over to you. So, my introduction to Mass Effect was my brother saying, Hey, Kai, there's this game I think you might enjoy playing. Let me download it onto the computer for you and Dad. Well, actually, I got it. It's a present for Dad, but that, like, you, you tried it on the PS3 first, and you, like... I, I actually, no, I, try, I didn't try it on the PS3 first. I tried it on the PS3 after we moved here... Okay, because I had that. never played the third styles. game since the third game wasn't available on PC. Well, it was, but not through at Steam. The, at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, I started playing Mass Effect on the computer and found that I really enjoyed it. First game, like Duncan said, was your, it was your basic first-person shooter RPG with well, squad mates. Yeah. Which standard Bioware yeah, fair from the round of time. Standard Bioware fair, but still pretty fun. And I remember when I first went into the second game, like I think it took me four or five months to get through the first one because I was like, Yes, I like this game, I'm going to play it until I'm done and I would play for hours at a time. <laughs> and that was while you were in school or was that 
Uh, that, so no. Okay. I was not in school at that point. Okay, I can't remember when that fell. Exactly. Then, um, the second game, I had started school and wasn't playing it as often, but it still took about the same amount of time for me to complete it. So. And I was very, I, I play Paragon. I, I, occasionally I'll try the rogue options, but then I feel like a horrible human being and I couldn't do that to Garrus, so. <laughs> or Tally, or, or Rex. Tally or, or Rex. Yeah. And. <laughs> We're talking about Rex later, but yeah, yes. you had a relevant, you had a revelation about Rex that you didn't that you somehow do, never realized. I couldn't do that to them. <laughs> and like, for example, I finished the first game, and I'm talking to Duncan about it. And he's like, "Wait, you kept Rex alive?" I was like, "There was a way he could have died." <laughs> I, I didn't realize I could have killed him. <laughs> okay, so we go, we'll have ourselves. We'll, we'll go back to Rex when we get to well, Rex, which is incident with then, Firmire, but yeah. then loading up the second game. The controls were so different, mm-hmm. and it was like, wait a second, I have to fix this. I'd gotten so used to the, control, to the way I'd set up the controls for the first game, I had to go in and mess with them until it w- worked in a way I liked. But it was it was more int- it was a little in- it was interesting the increased number of options you had in gameplay. I liked how you were able to explore the galaxy a bit more. There was more of a surprise element to it. I liked how on the, the maps in the second game, when you're exploring the planets, were a little bit gave you a little bit more options for exploring. And yeah, again, fun game. The only character I th- yeah, we'll get to characters later, but yeah. second game was fun, and I'm currently playing the third game because Legendaries came out, and I replayed through the first two. And in less than a month. In less than a month. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, and Completionist, I did all the side quests in both, in the main quests in both the first and second game. Yeah. <laughs> all the little missions and all that, all that fun stuff. So okay. now I'm in the third game, and I really am liking the changes in the third game. We've gone from your standard... RPG, spacefaring RPG with morality gauges to a bit more interactive but still relatively standard RP, space RPG with morality choices and a bit more exploration options to something that feels a lot more free, plat- free world, free platform style game. And I'm, it weirded me out at first. Yeah, and then there was Andromeda, which we, now, we can discuss, well, aside later, we'll be like, Andromeda, because there's a certain, uh, it, well, we'll discuss it when we get to Mass Effect 2, but, uh, alright, but anyway, okay, now, Jonathan, my, the, my first exposure to it was through reviews, like, when G4 used to be, you know, the go-to network for reviews, right. my first exposure was X-Play, because I was a, I was a fan of that show, so, you know, anything that they reviewed, Okay, so we got the uh, first um, earliest memories out of the way, and like I said, we'll probably have our dad. I'll probably have Kai and my dad um, join us because he, like, I guess, like we mentioned, he's also played the first two, um, and 
he had, and he had uh, about 20 years ago, actually, he had a bout with um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, and as such, he, he has a palsy in his hands, and he was not able to have the fine motor skills to, um, to do that sort of gaming, although for some reason he's still able to play more Warcraft just fine, despite the fact that mechanics are even less forgiving than that one. Trevor Page, I blame you, but I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, that's for another time. Okay, um, alright, so we will, um, yeah, now this one might be going into a second, well, into a second hour, because of, because, because, because here's how, we how to do this. Instead of doing the first game all in one go, uh, we decided to break it up by sections, following the lead of several other, um, podcasts that are either specially attuned to Mass Effect, either the Legendary Edition or the franchise as a whole, or who are or who are just like us, covering each covering the franchise at some point. Because this was this was always planned we always planned to do this subject matter since we decided to do this podcast. <laughs> um it's just so such a massive uh Section, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you take on the Star Wars franchise, same thing. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but yeah, just yeah, like, a bunch of stuff. MCU, you know, that's definitely going to be a subsidiary, and I have a feeling that that's what, you know, Mass Effect is going to be as well, just because, yep. you know, it is so uh, morality-driven and choice-driven, which means that I could pick up the game and have a certain experience and then my brother my biological and my stepbrother you know if they pick it up they won't have the exact same experience they might have similar things happen to them but you know it's unlikely that two people within the same family are going to have the exact same uh, user experience or player experience I guess you could say Yes, because um, because one thing about Bioware, and this is Bioware does this, uh, Ubisoft has started doing this. Bethesda has been doing this to some extent with certain franchises, Fallout being the main one. Um, with my, I have personal experience with mostly that, that one's Kai's fault. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fallout's fun. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, all right. Let's talk about. Um, okay, now let's break down Commander Shepard. Let's start with there. Because you have to... Let's start with the character creation side of things. Because because Commander Shepard is... Yeah. You guys, like I said... Was mentioned, okay, I don't think we mentioned this before we started recording. Uh, I think we mentioned this before we started recording. Sorry. Alright, so... You have... Okay, there are two... Okay, there is a male Shepard and a female Shepard. The backstory is completely up to you. What... Where they were born is up to you. <laughs> There's a lot to cover here. All right, so Kai, you open your journal to let me go through yours. So yeah, my journal. It should be in there somewhere. Yes. Personal history should still be in there somewhere. Keep talking while I find my. Okay. 
Yeah, the guys, okay, because you have, for the um, birth, you have Earthborn, which is pretty self-explanatory. You have Spacer, which is, he was born on a, a starship um, somewhere. And, um, and then you have the Ptolemus, which means he was born on another planet, but it was born on a planet that was not Earth, but another planet that, human, that humanity had colonized. And so, and and then you have the let's see, let's see, you have the war hero. Mostly the uh, love interest options, because there's one particular character whose voice actress um, said that she will not be involved with the uh, female, that she did not want her character to be romanceable by a female avatar. And there was another one who, it's only an option if you are the female version. <laughs> and I think that's at least one other one that, it, yeah. Um, and it's mostly for religious reasons. For the uh, for the voice actors in question, but anyway, um, yeah. So you know, I would say it's fitting considering that you know the game is kind of centered around morality in a lot of ways. So that, that that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Let me just pull this up here. All right. So yeah, you have War Hero, you have Ruthless, um, and Soul Survivor. I think is the um. Yeah, and also you get to pick the first name of Shepard, which is never used, even if you use the default baseline one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they never use it in any dialogue. It's never used in any, um, yeah, it's a bit weird, <laughs> the way that they, but it makes sense. I mean, you're trying to um, ensure that it is, that it is, that the story is driven by your choices. So you have to, um, yeah, and, okay, so we got the base, and, and, okay, so we got the baseline here. All right, so let's talk about Eden Prime. Let's get that started. Okay. Well, at least I remember my choices. It's only been a month and a half. <laughs> I think you'll yeah. be good. <laughs> my baseline background for I always play Fem Shep just because yeah just because Pretty straightforward. So I always play Fem Shep and I pretty much always play um, colonist which means that my backstory is I was on Mendoir when Batarian raiders enslaved the whole colony burned it to the ground and survived and then I tend to fall into the sole survivor loop where I was with a group of soldiers, we're on a coups, Threshermall wipes out the whole troop and think we're the only survivor and are scarred from that. And then when it comes to the style I play, I pretty much always play the technological engineer with a sniper rifle because sniping from a distance is fun. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah. As for me, um, at least this, at least for the uh, most recent um, playthrough I'm doing on the uh, Legendary Edition, I went with um, a Vanguard, Earthborn Vanguard, who's a war hero, and I also went mostly the Paragon route. There are a couple of things you can't help but do, um, where it's pretty much you get Renegade points by default just because that's how the game works. <laughs> but anyway, um... Yeah, like, the, I forget the exact, there's one specific incident in, um, Mass Effect 1 that I, for, I forget the details. But anyway, okay. So, Eden Prime, it's, okay, so, yeah, you, you guys, you guys can say you're introduced and the, how do you want, do you want anything on this part, or? Okay, yeah. Okay, you're introduced to your character while, um, you guys, they're being, you guys, okay, there's a... Okay, in the setting, there's a, an elite force um, known as the Spectres, which are select, which are pretty much the um, they're pretty much the best of the best of the best. It, it not it, it's not an MIB thing. It, it, they are they are they're uh, it's, they're especially black ops personnel who are who who give the um, higher ups plausible deniability for any issues. <laughs> Um, and so we have, um, so there's, yeah, so, and, and humanity has, okay, we should probably say, okay, it's 2183? Yeah, 2183. Yeah. It, Humans are the newest species to interact with the galaxy at large. And there was an incident about, what, 30 years ago? Where they were considered for... A member of being Spectre status, but we don't know that yet. Well, you do if you'll read the novels, but I tell you. Yeah. Detail. Um, yeah. And we get introduced to our character, our Commander Shepard. We meet Anderson, who is by far one of the most lovable of the players you don't interact with an insane amount. <laughs> and you get introduced to someone I wish we could save, Nihilus. And Nihilus is a is a specter who is there to evaluate Shepard um, for for being a specter. I think the word I think the word was used was induction. <laughs> yes, Nihilus is the one who recommended um, Shepard for the specter program, and also was our big baddie. Well, one of the big baddies for the game. Well, the first one <laughs> for the first game, um, Saren. Who is another Spectre? Nihilus was Saren's pupil. Or was it? Or were they, or were they partners? For, no, it was. A, it was the pupil. Oh, hello. <laughs> you were in here. <laughs> so we get a little bit of backstory that we didn't. That we don't necessarily know. Just from the game, it gets introduced to us through other media, media and venues. When I first found out about Nihilus being um, Saren's pupil, I almost cried because it made his death so much sadder. You don't get to see Nihilus for very long, but he's he's sarcastic. He's he's all the good parts of Turian culture. Yeah. Anyway, um, so you have that, and then you, okay. and so you have interest in Nihilus, and he's in the uh, he's in the what the com room or the briefing well, room, whatever it is. You first meet him when you go into the com room. 
waiting to meet with Anderson, and he confronts you, acting like you should know about the fact that you're going to become a specter when you are completely in the dark. And how you inter- and how you respond to that is up to you. <laughs> how you respond to that is up to you. Yeah, and uh, now the series they ever revealed Commander Shepard's first name, or is it just like a running thing? Well, I don't think he features the that base much. name for the male Shepherd is John. The base name for the female Shepherd is Jane. So if you, for example, are a big fan of fan fiction and the stories that people write about their beloved characters, they're either referred to as Shepherd or Fenton Shep or Jane John Shepherd. Yeah. Depending on Yeah. Yeah, for the most part they're only referred to by their surname because well, much partly because of military protocol and because they don't want to step on anyone's toes if they decide to go a little <laughs> out of the box with the naming. Um yeah, so yeah, so for the most part, if Shepard's been mentioned in a in a story, it's only by your last name. Um, because they're trying, because, because, because they're trying to make sure that any ancillary material does not directly come into conflict with any individual gameplay experience. <laughs> Which makes sense, I mean, because, um, I kind of like the fact that it's on the Commander Shepard, because it kind of builds an air of mystery around it. It's like, okay, well... We don't know what the details, so let's just you know, let's just have fun. Let's just dive in first. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, you know, you also have a bunch of um, Marines um, because again, it's the Alliance Navy, and it, now the Assistance Alliance is essentially it's a. How do I Okay, we should probably explain the uh, thing on Mars first. So there is this mysterious ancient civilization called the Protheans. And the first two games really emphasize the fact that most people most people have all developed based upon their most people's cultures have all developed based upon their culture discovering some artifact of the Prothean Protheans and the discoveries from that technology boosting them at least centuries or decades Depending decades on. to centuries into the future developmentally. And the on Mars is where the humans found a Prothean, a Prothean artifact, and their discovery of it is what led to their introduction to the wider galactic community, because the Turians found out, were like, wait a second, that's ours! <laughs> and we have what the humans call the First Contact War. Yeah, if you want more details on that, there's another podcast that we recommend. I highly recommend it. It's uh, Mass Effect Lorecast. They go into detail on all the races, background, um, conflicts, um, and they're they're and they're they're going through it. It's it's currently active. They're going they're going through it step by step, week by week. Um, yeah, they'll be able to go into more detail than we will because they're actually doing the research and they are. Have more free time. Well, the one of them does. Right, think about Mass Effect as a franchise. It's a lot of information out there. So, so all the first-time gamers like myself that are just, you know, getting into that whole uh, 
world, I guess you could say, a whole canon. This is a, this is a good time to be a new fan, I will say, because there's a lot out there. Yep. Which, I love it. This is an element to the gameplay that I was a little bit more prepared for than my brother, because I have been playing World of Warcraft since it was Warcraft 3, the PC game, you needed a, a CD-ROM to play. So, I, I'm very yeah. used to multiple races and a lot of lore around those races, all involved with a single game. Yeah, okay, so, got that. Alright, so, yeah, the backstory. So, yeah, so they, and, and the thing is, okay... So they go to the first planet you go to is Eden Prime. It's the um, they call it what the Pride of the Alliance or where's that effect? Yeah, it was the first example of multi-species ingenuity. It was a collaborative effort between the Turians and the humans. They took the standard setup of a Turian battleship with hum, good old human ingenuity. Actually, you're talking about the Normandy. They were talking. I was talking about the planet they were going to. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do it. Good point. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You have a start. You have a start. You have a ship. Is named the Normandy. We'll get back to that later. Um. Once. Commander Shepard becomes a specter. Um. And, and, okay. So yeah. I'm a Normandy. You are. You meet. You meet with Nihilus. Then you talk to. This guy. It was like Jenkins. Jenkins. Yes. The Eden Prime native. Who is adorable, but really wants to be a hero who dies in a blaze of glory, and... Then you get Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have the option of telling him, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, please be better, or, sure, whatever you say, Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, so you get... Yeah, so Jenkins is there for like, you know, Jenkins for maybe like half an hour, if that. <laughs> yeah, you see him while he's on the ship, you can ask him about the planet and get some information about your destination, and he's with you for all of like two minutes when you actually land, <laughs> and he yeah, has an unavoidable, unavoidable death. Yeah. Because you have to get, because you get your first recruit right out the yeah. yeah. And believe me, I've tried. I've even tried posting him somewhere far away from initial death scene, and he still shows up. Yeah, yeah that Jack, it's not Jack, the guest prime comes later. It, 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 it's, or he's probably talking about the Geth. <laughs> yes, we get introduced to the Geth very early on. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so the Geth are a race of killbots who... Okay, if you're familiar with the uh, 2000 Battlestar Galactica, just think the... Uh, Cylons in that franchise because their backstory is rather similar. <laughs> Although, Which admittedly, you like the greatest of fans of Battlestar Galactic because I, I noticed the similarities, so it makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah well, the, the show was going pretty strong at that point, so, so it's actually would have been more surprising if it wasn't referenced in some way. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, because uh, because Mass Effect One came out in two thousand seven, so <laughs> still yeah, that's a couple fine. years. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's well known that pop culture and burn just go hand in hand because a lot of you know new pop culture reference old pop culture, and that's no different when it comes yeah. to gaming. So I was Yeah, especially because Mass Effect as a whole pulls from a lot of sources <laughs> over the. You know, 
going back decades, if not centuries, in one particular instance, but we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, so... <sighs> yeah, so, so when we get to our inevitable Winsman episode, we'll be making a lot of callbacks to this stuff. Because <laughs> there's a lot of similarities there. Which, by all accounts, is intentional. Okay, anyway, so yeah, so Eden Prime, you land on that planet, and you have these giant floating, um... How do you describe Flash the Flashlights with guns. <laughs> I, 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 I was talking about, the, you know, you get there, they're pretty much, they're bipedal, and the thing about the Geth is that they're, they're, the uh, foot soldiers and their tanks are called platforms because Geth themselves are the programs and software. They are not the individual units. <laughs> but we learn more about that in the second Mass Effect game. And in the third one, we learn all the details, and it turns out that the Geth were actually the victims all along. And <laughs> well, you kind of you kind of find that out in the second game if you. If well, you take Legion. the time to talk to your Quarian... And um, Legion. Yeah, if you, t if you talk to Tali, even in the first game it's hinted at, you can have a really good discussion with Tali in the first game where she tells you about the Geth Uprising, and it definitely makes it seem like the Geth are the victims there. They developed enough intelligence to ask, do am I alive? Do I have a soul? And the Quarian's response was, "Kill it with fire." <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty straightforward. Like I said, like the Cylons, but the response was even worse. Um, and then in the second game, when we, which we'll get into a bit more later, we learn a bit more about the situation October between the two point. races. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, especially because you had to deal with, especially if you had the fight like I did a couple of times, where you had the get squadmate and the Horian squadmate on the same missions, which is always fun. <laughs> Especially for the loyalty missions. Okay, well, well, Legion's more so, it's more easy to, it's easier to do than Tally's, but that's a detail. Okay, um, you know, so we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. Okay, so, yeah, but back to, um, Eden Prime. Okay, so the Geth, they're bipedal, they have flashlight heads, they have little, um, cooling fins, I was like, I think they're supposed to be cooling fins sticking out of their backs. Um, and there are, you know, you have assault rifles, rocket launchers, and some sort of plasma rifle thing. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's a big ball of plasma that smacks into you. Um, and, yeah, so so you go there, you and the thing of, and what they did on Eden Prime, which is why the ship was going there, is they had unearthed a... Um, they had, the uh, colonists had recently unearthed a what is called a Prothean beacon, which is pretty much what was also on Mars. <laughs> I think is what we're supposed to understand that it was. Uh, it, it's a it's essentially an information cache. That it gets referred to in the third game as the Prothean archives. As what? Yeah, because you actually have a Prothean. In fact, Ty, you have one on your screen there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but. I'm getting way ahead of myself because we're not supposed to know what the proteins look like yet. <laughs> um, in, in fact, the uh, protein design was changed, was retconned after Mass Effect 2 because they wanted to go a different direction with... And, yeah, so... But anyway... Yeah. Um, I guess we're getting way ahead of ourselves again. Okay, so, back to Union Prime. Okay, so, you get there, 
the Geth have landed. And then, should we talk about Sauber now, or do you want to wait a bit? Well, that is something. Him. Before you land on the planet, we get a distress signal from Eden Prime, which is why we end up landing there quicker than anticipated. Planet. And we see this giant ship. Looks almost like a mix between a squid and an armored gauntlet reaching out. And this loud, almost siren-esque sound in the background. And this is our first introduction to Sovereign, which we spend the vast majority of the game believing to just be our big bad evil guy ship. And we're not going to say what he is because that's a plot point. We don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who's no real exposure, though. But if you're exposed to Mass Effect 3's marketing campaign, you will know what he is right off the bat. But <laughs> so we, there's this big ship, and all of the survivors you have the potential to meet on Eden Prime, it is possible to miss every single survivor except for Ashley, who is the crew member we recruit, and a guy at the docks. Who is the witness to Who's the witness to Nihilus' murder. It is possible to miss the other survivors. Easily. Very easily. The, my first playthrough, I fudged the hacking on some doors and missed both of them. Oh yeah, we should probably explain hacking. Because there's, there's a lot of hacking, there's a lot of breaking into things, there's a lot of blasting yes. stuff. Which, if you've ever played a game like for example, I've played a lot of Skyrim, so I'm very used to, you look through everything, you pick up everything you can, you should become over-encumbered. <laughs> Not that over-encumbered is a thing in Bioware. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point where, and this is also brought up in several other podcasts, um, including the uh, lore cast I mentioned, in fact, the most recent episode, as of recording what was actually mostly people complaining about how um, how when you how if you get to a certain point most of the stuff that you've looted is better than everything you can buy on the Citadel <laughs> yep <laughs> and then you have the, the fun should I should I reduce this to Omni Gel or maybe I can use it later or I'm going to save this for the for a big moment now <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> you reach a point where you've got your, you've got the armor you want, you've got the upgrades you want, you've got the weapons that you're using are up, have all of the maxed out, uh, maxed out upgrades you need, and everything you pick up, no matter how amazing it is, is just junk, because it'll mess with your play style. Yeah. <laughs> and it's better to just reduce it to Omni Gel and ha or sell it and have a lot of credits on hand. Yeah. Yeah, um, because that's another thing is that you're able to loot stuff and. Not just from enemies. You can loot stuff from victims of your enemies. <laughs> yeah, so... Got a lot of... What kind of item might you come across when you're going, say, like you're going looting and you're trying to figure out, okay, what should I take? What kind of items? I know weapons are a thing. What else might you well, okay. Well, there's the obvious stuff, like like um like outfits, both um casual and um when you're on duty, and they're not just for Shepard, for um for all of your um squad mates and other for all of your potential squad mates because like, there's a lot of fun stuff you can find because you have different races, have different um 
body types and as well different species rather because yeah because humanity as a whole is a in the same species so you have which probably okay you have let's see you have humans obviously you have the Asari um, you have the Salarians you have the Krogan you have the Horians which we mentioned the Geth technically qualified then you have the Hanar the um, Volus yeah the Volus the Terrians. The Terrians come up a lot. We'll get to those later. Um, and then you have the Elcor. The Drell. Yeah, the Drell we don't need in the first game, though. Yeah, the uh, Drell you don't need until the second game. Yeah, I think that's all the main ones. And then there's the Yogg, but we only need one of those, and that's a special case. You need a few of them in Mass Effect 3. Uh, I thought they had one like those, like, the, uh, like on the Solarian homeworld that they were yeah. keeping for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, they were. You see them in the third game. Oh, I forgot about that. And they destroy some of your enemies before disappearing into the ether. Okay, I, I didn't. I forgot about that. Because that was an isolated incident. Um, at least in my gameplay. At least in my playthrough, because you know, the thing about Mass Effect Three, we'll get more detail of this, is that because of the nature of the um, situation, if you sound, if you don't get to certain area locations quickly enough, you can't do it because the Reapers have overrun them. <laughs> Um, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, so we go to Eden Prime, we, we, the Geth are there, we, they're under, they've, they've taken the beacon to the spaceport, or was it somewhere else? I think it was the spaceport. Um, and so you had to, so you had to fight through the Geth, get to the, get to the, um, relay station with the, with the train, you go on the train, fight some more Geth on the train, and then you get the... And the train is activated. Then you get to okay. All right, so yeah, then you get to um, all right. So Kai's gonna be right back. So I'll just continue here. And then we get um, then you get to the and then you get to the station. And there are three um, high. There are three. I think they're meant to be nuclear um, yield, or at least. Um, the same yield as um, the bomb dropped on Hiroshima back in 1945. Um, I don't know if that's collective or if it's each individual, but there are three. You have to disarm three bombs. I don't know if they're nuclear or conventional. Um, there's a nuclear weapon that's brought up at a later point, but I don't know if these particular ones were meant to be nukes. Um, so... Let's see, that. Yeah, so then, and then after that, you finally step up to the beacon. And the beacon is damaged. It's never established if it was damaged by the Geth and, or the, um, it's never established, at least not that I recall, if the Geth damaged it, or if the, um, archaeologists damaged it, or if it was just damaged for sitting in the sitting in the crater for 50,000 years. <laughs> um, or 48,000. I forget. <laughs> I forget exactly. I forget the exact details. Because there was a lot that goes on. And you know, I guess we'll get to that later. Um, and so, yeah. The Eden... Yeah, so... Yeah, so then you... Yeah, you so you see this grotesque uh, imagery um, that apparently what happened is they created this by... Sending one of the, it's by sending a couple of the um, people 
a couple of the riders went to the local grocery store and got and went to the butcher section and got a lot of steaks and pork chops and other junk stuff. And then they just put a bunch of this is actually this is actually how they did it. They put a bunch of um, electronic parts like circuit like um, like computer chips, circuit boards, that sort of thing on there. <laughs> Stuck it in a bunch of put a bunch of red food coloring all, all over it. And then took photos of that. <laughs> it's, I mean, if you're going for protest, you got you know, you got to go all the way. If you're going to go for it, yeah. So, okay, yeah. And then there's that. So that's Eden Prime. All right. So what we'll do is, yeah, I think we'll keep going. Okay. So let's talk about the um, we'll talk about the aftermath of that. Then we will go into the Citadel, right? Okay. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. All right. So we'll talk about the aftermath of what happens after. Uh, then after the uh, the big head explodes, Shepard's knocked by about what twenty yards, I think. <laughs> then, Far enough that she just gets knocked on her ass. Yeah, and passes out, and then wakes up in the medical bay on the Normandy. With and and the and the uh, chief medical officer for the ship is there. Anderson, Boss, who yeah, is awesome. Yeah, Anderson is there, and I want to say. Caden is there too, or was he it, outside I, in the galley? He's outside in the okay. galley. Okay, I know he was on the same. I knew he was right there. I didn't remember if he was in the room or if he was just you know, outside. He's, he's in the galley. He hangs out in what ends up being the um, the chef's area in the well, second and third games. I think that's a different ship entirely. Man, <laughs> yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, yeah, yeah. He's only he's in the uh, mess. I guess would be what. Yeah, he's in the mess. Um, and. I want to say near the life support life support pods. Yeah, and Ashley's there too. No, Ashley is downstairs in, in engineering. The, okay. In engineering. Okay, I can't remember if she was next to the lockers. I can't remember if she was there yet, or I thought she was with Caden. No, she's she's at the lockers. We see her. We see her briefly in a kind of cut scene, but we can't actually talk to her until we go down to engineering. Okay, I can't remember if that happened after they got to the Citadel and and Anderson stepped step aside stepped aside mm-hmm. for, to deal with to help babysit, as I like to call it, um, the ambassador. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so yeah, so Shepard's the XO, Anderson's the captain. <laughs> Just to get out of the way. Um, and so that, 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 that sets up something for later. Um, and, okay, yeah, keep going on the clock, good. Yeah, alright, so we have, so yeah, so then we, yeah, so we talk to Ashley, we talk to Kaden, we talk to the doctor, we get, you get, the option to get the doctor's backstory, you don't have to go that far just yet. Um, yeah, we're talking about Jenkins. Which apparently Jenkins was rather popular on the ship, as it, as it turns out. Um, and I think there was also Joker. Do you get to talk to Joker a lot? You before? do get to talk to Joker a lot. Okay, okay. And that's something I enjoy every playthrough. Yeah. And he's voiced by, and looks like, Seth Green, for those who are wondering. Yeah, so, in his picture Seth Green in a little, um... <laughs> in a little hat. Uh, you pretty much have Joker. Um... Okay, so, all right, so we got, all right, so let's, okay, so we got that, and then, and then, okay, so we'll stop this recording, we'll stop, 
we'll take a we'll, we'll stop the recording and then we'll restart and we talk about the Citadel because I don't want to. Um... Okay, so ready? We'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, so we got uh, now. You go to the Citadel. The Citadel is in what the uh, Serpent Nebula, I think. Believe so. Yeah. So yeah, the Serpent Nebula. I don't know if that's a real nebula or if it's made up because uh, I don't. As I don't remember. I don't have never come across this particular name outside of Mass Effect franchise, so I don't know. Um, it might be real. Most of the places are supposed to be real locations in the Milky Way. Um, yeah, so they go to the... Okay, yeah, they're in the Serpent Nebula. Okay, yeah, Kai, like I said, Kai's actually playing Mass Effect 3, so she pulled up the map for us. Okay, um... Yeah, okay, so the Serpent Nebula, and the uh, star system is Widow, I think is the name of the star. Um, that, I think, is fictional, but, I, again, I don't know enough about... <laughs> astro... The, uh, astronomy... To be certain, but anyway, yeah, so yeah, where's Neil deGrasse Tyson? We need him because I'm sure he'd be able to tell. Yeah, <laughs> several people, okay. Anyway, um, so you go to the Citadel, and the Citadel is is huge, gigantic space station. It's what about three miles long, I think. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is huge, it's probably about as big as a planet. Well, not that big, but yeah, it's pretty big. Um, it's, it's, able to, it's able to hover right above London. I don't think it's that big. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's able to hover above London without within the atmosphere. It's not that. It's, yeah, or at least in low Earth orbit <laughs> um, at one point. <laughs> because that's what it is. yeah. Like I said, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But that's that, that's a reasonably well known well known enough image. Um, especially because a lot of people complain about the ending of Mass Effect 3. I don't think that the fact of where the Citadel was located at the time is that much of a secret. Um, but anyway, okay, so the Citadel, it has five arms, which are called wards, and, uh, and, and, a, and a central ring called the Presidium, and there's, a, and there's a tower sticking out of the Presidium, which is rather uninventively, I will admit, called the Presidium Tower. <laughs> Um, That's the one that knows, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe the Asari, maybe the original Asari name was a bit more poetic. I don't know because the Asari were the first modern race to encounter the Citadel. Okay. Now we're going to now. Okay, let's talk about the Citadel because okay, if you go there, you you land. Well, Doc, actually, more accurate. You dock at the uh, Citadel. You dock. You dock at the Citadel Tower, at least in the first game. Um, and then you go to the ambassadors. And then, and then the ambassador. When you get off, the ambassador meets you there, and he says, oh, you, got, "You got to go." And then you go straight to the Citadel Council to report what Saren did. <laughs> and the council. How do you want to describe the council, guy? <laughs> Political assholes, so Congress. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, um, it, that's a yeah. That's that's pretty much what they are, aren't they? <laughs> it, it's like the, the closest to the UN as far as um, the scope. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, 
If you can imagine, um, they're essentially a smaller scale version of the Galactic Senate from the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> so, oh, anything about them, no <laughs> Yeah, so, you got a lot of those. And, yeah, so, they're bureaucrats, they bicker a lot, they... <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, and they don't, we don't know much about how often they're replaced, we don't know how they're how each individual member is selected. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's very little information about that. Um, although, the fact that a lot, the average lifespan of a different species is different because, like, the, uh, like the Salarians are, what, they're about 40 to 50 years depending on the individual. Um, yep. The Asari can live upwards of 1,500 years. It's some pushing 2,000. Um, these are all Earth years, by the way. Um, or close enough that it's a distinction without a difference. And then you have um, the Turians, which, like humans at the present time of the setting, live for about 150 years on average. <laughs> um, and, yeah. So, yeah, so there's the three council races at the start of the franchise. And then you have, yeah, and... and and this is a bit of a spoiler, but not much of one because it's kind of pivotal to the franchise as a whole. Um, and, it, and it's pretty. And if you're any familiar with already with the later ones, will automatically spoil us anyways. I'm going to now. Humanity is uh, is given a seat on the council at the end of the game as a result of what you do as a player. Um, and Shepard is the given the and Shepard is the one who chooses is either given the option to choose either. The ambassador, or Captain Anderson as the first human counselor, or Which you do have the option to say it's up to humanity, humanity to decide, because there are Paragon and Renegade consequences to right. your decision. The yeah. middle of the road option lets you avoid any random. Um, Results of your choice, or or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, yeah. My paragon route. I was like, I couldn't side with either of them, so I said, let let leave that to the population of Earth. Yeah, and then and the opening. Well, after the opening of Mass Effect Two, you still have to make the choice anyway. But that's it. <laughs> but it's in a way that doesn't have any consequences to your character. At least not directly. Um. Yeah. So. And some people go with column A, some people go with column B, some people wait until the opening sequence of Mass Effect 2 to do it. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's still, uh, the ultimate decision is up to the player. Um, but anyway, so, yeah. But anyway, so you go to the council, they don't believe you, you have Saren on, um, essentially what amounts to a Skype call, um, via hologram denying everything, and even though he already looks like he... He already looks like he's a bad guy. I mean, he's, <laughs> it's one of those things where he's been more obviously evil than Jafar and Darth Vader put together. It's, it's that obvious that he's not to be trusted. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah. And, and his view, and his, and he's not exactly fond of humans to start with. <laughs> To start with, he doesn't like humans, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Nihilus and Garrus, who we'll get to later, yeah, they're the exceptions, at least going in. <laughs> um, 
there are a few other Turians you meet that are okay with humans, but yeah, for the most part, at least in Shepard and Anderson's experience, the Turians don't like humans, and it, and for the most part, it seems to be a mutual <laughs> dislike for both species. <laughs> and then, you know, and I just shot another Turian, but okay, um, <laughs> or is that a Marauder, I can't really tell. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a Cerberus. Okay, I thought that was a Turian for a second there. Okay, um, yeah. Cerberus will get to later. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so the Turians are, and the Turians, let's just find the Turians, okay. The Turians, they're, they're like Velociraptors almost, right? Right? They're, they're not as mean. A little bit. They are bird-like, but not How does describe Turians? They are... They, they are very bird-like in a dinosaur-esque manner. They have plates rather than... Feathers. Feathers or um, skin. And some... One of the going fan theories is that at, in childhood they have feathers. But that those feathers shed and turn into the more hardened plates as they grow older, and it's a byproduct of the radiation of their home planet. Yeah, it should be mentioned, it should be mentioned that they, we don't see any um, children of any other species other than humans, and I want to say there's at least one child paternity we see at one point, I forget. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the Asari, which you, <laughs> The Asari are blue-ish. <laughs> blue, well, blue to green women with tentacles that, well, the back of their necks and the back of their heads look very similar to tentacles, almost as if it's their hair kind of pulled back. So think. Yeah, think blue women with instead of hair they have short tentacles that kind of go back in a almost ponytail. And they're rigid. They aren't. Flexible. And they're yeah, they're rigid. They don't. They don't they move don't. with their with their heads. And then the Salarians are well, they're amphibious. No. <laughs> um. so. so they're frogs, or they're frog like. They're frog-like, they, and in universe, the um, Solarians are the are responsible for the um, the gray alien, the stereotypical gray aliens um, that that you see a lot in 1950s and 1950s through 60s um, pop culture with UFO stuff. And in the Mass Effect universe, those are the Solarians just messing with the humans. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So the Solarians knew about Earth before the first contact war. It's never established how they got there with the mass relay being frozen in ice, but yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so the yeah, so the Solarians knew of Earth. They just were yeah, which is partly why they were able to stop the first contact war so quickly. <laughs> yeah, anyway, okay. So you have so yeah, so Saren is a Turian. Yeah, he's a Turian. 
as was Nihilus and um, and Garrus and several other. And as we learn later, the vast majority of Spectres are Turian, just because it is a very military-based culture and that's space Romans. Sort of things they would do, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the Salarians are the scientists. The Asari are the politicians, and um. Mm. There are a few other aspects of them we'll get to later because we like we have to figure out how to tread that territory delicately. But they have a reputation, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> um, it's and, and admittedly, one of the characters does admit that it is partially an earned reputation because they do play to that stereotype a bit much. Um, but yeah, so yeah, yes, and for the most part. The Asari do they're one they're one gender race um, as humans understand gender anyway, and so, and they for the most part they self-identify as female, though there are a few exceptions. There, <laughs> you don't mean that. Interesting. Um, there's a going theory that the kind of universal translators that all species use humans are the ones who um, hear in gender. Well, the Stellarians, the Turians, the Krogan are also have gendered. That uh, and that there are a number of species in the wider galaxy that they don't view gender the same way that humans do. Yeah. So, yeah. For the most part, yeah, for the most part, gender is binary. Yes. <laughs> well, at least the as the we the Asari are a species that resemble females, and all of the f- members of the species can give birth. However, the way they procreate is not through physical connection, but rather through a brain, a melding of the minds, where they copy the parts of their partner's DNA that they find to be an improvement upon their own base DNA, and use that to create their child. Which is usually, which is always an Asari. Which is always an Asari. Yeah. They always always take beneficial aspects from any other species. Species, but the end result is always an Asari. Yeah. And and there is a stigma, but we'll get to that when we meet Liara in a future episode because we're not going to get to her because I realize she's not actually on the Citadel. We have to go get her on other planets. But that'll most likely be the next one we talk about because. Nine out of no, it's not ninety-nine out of a hundred um, players get Liara right out of the gate <laughs> because they, she is very useful, especially for another one because you have to deal with her mother. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, so you have that, and then um, yeah, so you go to so, so Garrus is in the council. Well, not the council chamber proper, but in the, I want to say the atrium of it. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're able to, you're, and he's easily he's easily missable too because because he you know, you just walk right past him and there it's he's no he or, or does it the first introduction with him is an automatic okay, you get close okay. enough and you're automatically pulled into the discuss into overhearing the discussion and it's with his I think I want to say it's his captain or. Appreciate the commander or something. Oh, uh, was the commissioner? Okay. The yeah. commissioner, I thought it was someone else. I thought it was his, I thought it was just his immediate superior. Nope. Um, so it was the, effectively the commissioner of CSEC um, is telling him to stop this investigation of, into Saren. Saren is too well connected 
or worse to that effect anyway. <laughs> um, and it should be mentioned that specters are usually given a pass by default. <laughs> because that's why they're there, so that they... Specters are usually given a pass on... They are effectively given ultimate diplomatic immunity. <laughs> because they can effectively blow up a sun and still not get in trouble. <laughs> well, okay. Shepard gets in trouble for doing something similar, but that's a detail. <laughs> um... So, is that was something that was pretty much unavoidable. Um, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Well, okay. That's actually a DLC moment, but yeah, it was still. Um, so we got that. Then, okay, so, yeah, so you, you, know, so you talk to Garrus, he, he is, he tells you what he's, he's investigating Saren, or he's the officer assigned to Investigating Saren for the Eden Prime incident, um, and and I think the dialogue, I think his um, dialogue implies that they were he was looking into him anyway. He just happened to that that's just happened. He just happened to be talking about he was happening looking into Saren anyway. He just walked out by being assigned, um, and then and so then you talk, and, then, and then you can go. Um, so, do you want to talk about Rex first, or do you want to talk about the clinic first? <laughs> Those so are the two I options for me. pretty much always end up going to Rex first. Okay. Because... Like I said, there are different ways you can go about doing this. <laughs> so, that's, that's why we broke this up into several segments instead of just one big <laughs> review. But yeah, I ended up... Um, the first playthrough... I was just kind of exploring the Citadel now that I had access to more spaces and found my way to CSEC and came Rex. across this big red thing. Krogan. <laughs> and we should describe the Krogan now for those who don't know. They're, they're like battle toads, <laughs> but bigger and mean. This is audio only, so a visual aid will not help. No, I'm looking up how they how it's described on the official wiki. Okay. <laughs> the Krogan are a species of large reptilian bipeds native to Tachanka, world known for its harsh environment, scarce resources, and overabundance of pres of predators. Including the Krogan. <laughs> they themselves are predators. Yeah. Due to the brutality of their surroundings, natural selection is placed a significant role in their evolution. Unlike most species, Krogan eyes are wide set. On Earth, this is common among prey animals. In this case, it gives the Krogan 240-degree vision, giving them greater visual acuity and awareness of approaching predators. They have large shoulder humps. Their heads look almost like a Triceratops crest. Cross with a Klingon <laughs> forehead. Yeah. Essentially. And they are... And yeah, they're, they're, their faces kind of resemble a snapping turtle. They like are. Jaws. They are huge. They're big. They're hulking. They wear giant armor, and they have a plethora of redundant organs. And by that mean we have what two nervous systems, four testicles for the males. I don't know how many ovaries the females have, but I wouldn't be surprised if they also had four. And um, they stand over seven foot tall. The way the between. Hump, their heads are about the same level as a human. Yeah, it can weigh between 150 to eight to 362 kilos. So yeah. So they are huge. 
Yeah. And they're also rather aggressive. Yeah. They have two hearts, four lungs, and four testicles. Okay. I thought yeah, I thought they had two of everything that a human or um, Turian or sorry, if memory serves, has. Um, so yeah, they are they are badass. They are the if the Turians are the military prowess, the Krogans are your barbarians of the Mass Effect world. They are brutal. They have a culture centered around strength. Their idea of honor is who has more power and are able to and is able to uphold. Maintain the uh, order. Yeah, yeah, maintain that power. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. So between the Turians and the um, Krogan, you pretty much have the Klingon equivalent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, I hear go to the C second. I meet and I see this giant red Krogan. And he's talking to. Is he talking to a Turian or is it a human? I he's talking to a human C sec officer. Yeah, and the C sec officer is telling him he needs to back down and. And Rex is just like, hey, I'm here to kill somebody. You can get in my way, but I'm here to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm here as a courtesy. I can kill you and walk out of here at any moment. Yeah. Again, Which, diplomatic immunity. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he's a merc. He's, he's a merc at this point, uh, working for the Shadow Broker, who we get into more in the second game. Yeah, I mean, already touched on it earlier. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rex, and you... You can you can be all diplomatic and talking to him about how you need his help to to, to approach Fisk to get some Fisk to get some information, or you can do what I usually do, which is say, "Yeah, we're after the same guy. Let's go beat people up." <laughs> the only time I enjoy my renegade options is when I talk to Rex. Yeah, you, yeah, and, yeah, and like I said, Rex is very easy to. Have to, uh, very easy to either kill him yourself or have Ashley kill him. And, and Kai somehow missed the fact that he had the little option and said, have Ashley shoot Rex. <laughs> yeah, I completely missed that option. I, I played Renegade. I, I do not Paragon. play Renegade well in this game. Yeah. I pretty much default to all Paragon options. Well, that's what you are anyway. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, this is one of those things. You can either play it as a complete asshole, or you can play it as the um, find the good fight. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think that was the wrong for a lot of people that you know want to you know series of games because it's just like, okay, which path am I gonna go? Am I gonna go? You know, am I gonna be the hero or am I gonna be you know just flat out villain? Well, actually, it's funny you bring that up, because I just realized we got that. Okay, we should explain this. Either way, Shepard is viewed as a hero in the... Or it doesn't matter which gameplay style, that is never a change. He's, never, he's always heroic, or at least perceived as such. It's not like um, the End of the Dark Knight, where um, where Batman takes the... Essentially takes the bullet, because he doesn't want to tarnish um, Harvey Dent's reputation... Because imagine this: a good and good-hearted and decent lawyer <laughs> character. <laughs> what are the odds? Okay. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Um. So yeah. So you have that. Yeah. So Rex is. Um. He's a pretty. He's a pretty fascinating character in his own right. 
But yeah, um, and he's not a typical Krogan, or at least when you get to know him better, you realize he's not one. Or at least not what the general the the, uh, the general population of the Milky Way at large views Krogan as. Well, like we said, like Ty mentioned, they're pretty much the brutes who and barbaric people who were uplifted way too early. <laughs> um, yeah, and we should probably mention the Krogan. Krogan rebellions. <laughs> yes, so the Krogan... Which is why the Turians are around. The Krogan were not ready to reach out to the wider galaxy when they were exposed to it. And there was a certain- species of um, bug-like creatures called Rachni that had pretty much overtaken parts of the galaxy and the a rest of, arms, of the, the rest of the Citadel races were having a really hard time destroying them. So the Salarians reached out to this warrior-like species they had been observing and... Made first contact. Made made first contact and um, boosted their technological levels, specifically their weapons. And started And used them to defeat the Rachni. It was was pretty much like you point them and say, like, go fight those and we'll give you all this cool stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so they they used, they up, they, the term the Salarians used was uplifted the Krogan, and um, they regretted that. (laughs) They very much regretted it because they took this species that was still developing. They were like nuclear age or atomic And we learn in that, we learn in the third game that by the time the Salarians had reached out to them, they had just laid waste to the vast majority of their globe with a nuclear war. So they would reach out to when they were still in a very volatile stage of their of their development. And the Krogan said, okay, we like this, we like the weapons, we're not able to travel to other places and destroy things, and they and tried to it. take over large part portions of the galaxy because they produce at an insane rate. So the Salarians then team at the end of the Arachni Wars, with the Arachni been defeated and the Krogan are starting to spread across the galaxy. Much like the Arachni themselves. Much like, much like the Arachni themselves, but much more deadly. <laughs> and intelligent, the, too. And <laughs> the Krogan um, posing such a threat, the Salarians developed something called the Genophage, which was basically a genetic sterility bomb. And then the Turians were And the Turians were dispatched to well, disperse like, the initial genophage. Uh, yeah, and the Turians made contact during the Krogan Rebellion. Yes, or, they made, and the Krogan Rebellion is always referred to this time where they were spreading around this galaxy. So the Turian and Salarian efforts combined released the genophage into the Krogan people, and it... They went from thousands of young to two or four per thousand per thousand surviving, and it's not a sterility plague per se. Which we find out in the second game, so we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. The details are even more horrifying when you find out. Yeah, so we'll we'll save that for later. Um, So don't lose sleep. But at any rate, so I'll go for meeting Rex, who is just awesome and a hoot to be around. And I'm so glad he is a companion in the game. To, I'll go from there to now I've got Rex. I like getting rid of my human companions as quickly as possible in the game because we've got Ashley, who can be fun to talk to, but she's very xenophobic. And then we have Lieutenant Cardboard. (laughs) Who you also like. (laughs) Who I also like, but... Not as much as Garrus. Not as much as Garrus. I call him the 
Lieutenant Car I came across some Facebook post where someone referred to Kanan Alenko as Lieutenant Cardboard, and it just fit. He is very one-dimensional. He is your stereotypical... Grunt. He is your stereotypical, misunderstood, special powers soldier. Oh, we should he, probably bring up the biotics. What do you want yes. to bring So he's a biotic. So biotics are... Um, the force equivalent? No, it's kind of the force. Basically, there's this element called element zero, referred to in the game as Ezo, that gives you basically telekinetic powers. And it's what powers the Mass Effect. Think, um, um, think psychic powers from Pokemon. And that's basically what you've got. Down to Gardevoir's ability to create a singularity. There's literally a biotic ability called singularity. And it should also be noted that the uh, that Ezo that is what creates the Tiggler Mass Effect field. <laughs> so it's kind of integral when I don't realize why we... I realize we went well over an hour before bringing it up. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, so Kanalinko, he's, he's very standard and... Standard character-wise. Standard character-wise. And I really dislike the fact that you basically can romance him before you've collected all of your other... Options. Options. Which is really frustrating because I don't like Kaden that way. <laughs> my, my characters don't like Kaden that way. He's very annoying. He's... Like I said, he's very stereotypical. But he also kind of comes across as a little creepy... Which yeah. I don't think was the intention of the creators. No. Yeah. Drew Carcasson, if you're listening, we would love to interview you and ask you, what the hell are you thinking? Because, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not a bad character. He's just, he's creepy, and he's always there. Yeah. At least for the first game, because you have, like we said, you have the option for him to die. <laughs> yes. And actually, the other option. So, choose wisely. Which one do you hate the least? <laughs> That's pretty much what I counted mean, down to. <laughs> and Ashley felt redeemable. I mean, she she had good she had a damn good reason to be xenophobic. Because of her grandfather because, and the yeah, because of her grandfather first contact war and all that. And I guess kinda also had a reason to be xenophobic with the one asshole Turian at Brain Camp. Or whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah. Which which yeah, I get it, but you have the one bad person in any, a couple of bad people in any race, but ju so judging an entire race from one person, that it's his xenophobia is not as understandable as Ashley's. Yeah, and, but at the same time, he has a conversation with I think it's Rex um, in one of the elevator conversations where he, he actually brings that up that he that, that Rex does not fit the stereotype of a of what the vast majority of the other species think of Krogan. <laughs> Yeah. And Rex actually points that out when you just when you just said. Yeah. So I just I, I have issues with Kanan Alenko. Okay. Lieutenant Cardboard's not my favorite. Okay. But, so yeah. So I immediately after recruiting Rex, go went to go to find Garrus, which is where we go to the med clinic. Okay. Yeah. Because they're just they're just. I, I think she's meant to be French. Um, her name is Doctor Michelle. I'm assuming that's meant to be her last name based on the spelling because she's female and it's spelled with the um without the extra L or E at the end. Um so yeah, she's just she's she speaks with a French accent. 
Um, so she's not using a translator, presumably. Um, and then you have, yeah, so you meet, you go down there, and she's being targeted by the aforementioned crime lord that Rex is trying to take down. And, and we don't we don't really find out the details about what she did to piss him off, but you go there, and there are a bunch of tough tight, and there are a bunch of toughs already ransacking her off her office. And then you walk in, and then immediately afterwards, I think Garrus comes in from the other entrance. Or, or is he already there? He was already there. You walk up on him, and he kind of shushes you with because his he's gun sneak- drawn. he's sneaking in. Yeah, he's a sniper, for the most part. Yes. So, he, um, and you kind of listen to these thugs intimidating the doctor, and then you get to shoot the ever-living hell out of them. And that's your introduction to Garrus. Yeah, so... And he, and like I said, he's already in for, already investigating Saren, and he does not like Saren. We don't know. It's never established if he has a personal history with Saren, or if he just doesn't like him through his press or whatever. It's it's kind of mentioned in third. If you romance Garrus, it's kind of mentioned throughout some of the dialogues. Basically, Garrus thinks that Saren is all that is wrong with Spectres and Turians. He's an epitome of the worst aspects of both of those things. And we also learned that Garrus was... A candidate. A candidate to be a specter. Well, is Saren his, um, quote-unquote, um, training officer? No, Saren was his training officer. Um, Garrus just decided he thought that it was stupid, he didn't want to be a part of it, and decided right. to go to C-Sec instead, following yeah. his father's footsteps. Right. Yeah, okay, I mean, you can probably establish... CSEC is essentially the police force for the Citadel. In fact, that's what it stands for. Yeah, Citadel, Citadel Security. Security. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. So his father was a cop. I think his grandfather was. At least one grandfather was a cop. Um, yeah, he comes from a family of cops. <laughs> he had at least one brother, I think, too. And a sister. Okay, yeah, I, can't I know there was at least one sibling. I forget. I didn't remember if it was. Yeah. Essentially, blue bloods. As birds, <laughs> but yeah, okay, um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, giant birds. Okay, yeah. And for the record, he's not voiced by um, Donnie Wahlberg or um, or Tom Selleck or whoever, or I forget the other one. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, not, not like that. I just use him as an example that, that will explain it. Okay, um, yeah, okay. So, so yeah, you, you meet Garrus, and then you immediately go. For the most part, you immediately go to Cora's den. And depending on your background, there's a there could be a guy standing there who, you know, if you're Earthborn, there's a guy who was in the same gang that Shepard was in when he was growing up. <laughs> because Shepard, either way, is with one exception, Shepard's the baseline background. He's an orphan. Um, don't know if he was a war orphan. Because, yeah, like I said, because Shepard is. Starts out, um, Mass Effect 1 in his late 20s. So, so, he was born after the first contact war, um, no matter what. So, it's never established, if you, depending on the background, it's never established when his parents were killed, but it's heavily implied that he, that he was a war orphan. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I think I think it's only a spacer is when his mother is still around and she's an admiral. 
Well, if you're on Mendwar, your family gets destroyed. If you please colonist, your fam your family dies. In the Blitz or whatever. In, um, whatever. No, the, the Blitz, Blitz or something else. Skellian Blitz, Blitz, which is when the Batarans... Batarians. Batarians um, wipe out Mendwar. Okay, I thought that this Blitz was the war hero background where he Maybe? was eh, the survivor. No. One of those. Or he, or, he, or he saved a bunch of people. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. Like I said, if you're Earthborn, there's this guy here... Who wants who wants Shepard to essentially um, <laughs> help get someone out of jail? Um, and you have the option to do so if you will, if you want to. I personally have never done that, um, but that's me. Um, yeah, and and Kai, you said that there was uh, now I don't remember was this on the Citadel where you had that that little kid that for your background that, that little kid you had to help. Or is that somewhere else? So, if you choose colonist, um, it's the second or third time you return to the Citadel, you're introduced to a situation where there's the girl who is um, threatening to kill herself. It turns out that she was also a survivor of Mendoir, but she had been captured by the Batarians and used as a slave for a very long period of time, and you have to the seasick officer asks you to come help, and you have to talk her down. You have to get close enough to her that you can talk her out of killing herself. And you can either you can do this by either giving her a sedative or letting her take it herself. I pretty much always talk her down to where she ends up taking the sedative herself. And it's just it is every time I play that side quest, I cry. Because she has been beaten into thinking of herself as a thing. And pretty worthless. And worthless. And the quest is called I Remember Me. Yeah. And you have to remind her that she's human and it's just so sad! Yeah, okay. But anyway, Cora's Den is... How do I want to put this? It's a, pretty much a strip club and... And depending on how you handle the wreck situation earlier, you could easily. This is depending on. It's like I said, back at um, CSEC, where time makes you to meet Rex, that is easily missable. Um, so if you you can, you can go to you can do this in several different orders. Now it is possible to first encounter Rex at Cora's Den, which is the nightclub owned by the gang the gangster that you're going to um, deal with and. So it's entirely possible to miss that first encounter at TSEC headquarters or just, or just turn him down for recruitment at first. And then he's there no matter what. Um, what he's doing there depends on what you did earlier. Um, so, yeah. the and As you go in there, you go in there and shoot up the place. Now, you don't go in there with guns blazing yourself. They come out and shoot at you first. Basically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You go in there, and, and, and you go in there. They they you go across the bridge, and you go up to the entrance, and then all of a sudden the door opens, and these guys come out shooting at you. And so, you immediately your your weapon of choice immediately deploys. Um, and and, and same goes for everyone else. And like I said, so you can do easily clear that out. Um, it, well, I say easily, but that depends on. Um, yeah. It, it can be hard, especially if you're still... Because this is early enough that you're still not used to the mechanics yet. Um, yeah, so... So you got that. Um, and then... 
So you go there, you clean out Cora's den, um, which can be a doozy. And another thing we should mention is that in this franchise, you cannot save during actual active combat situations, but there are several battles where there are multiple save points that just save automatically, so you don't have to start all over from back at the uh, entrance. Um, and this is one particular case of the latter. So, you, and then, you, and, and like I said, you can do different things. You, like, you can slam people against walls. You can slam, you can set people on fire. There's, there's acid-type um, bullets. Um, yeah, and then you have, um, yeah, so you go, and you deal with Fist, and you can talk to him about... And you can talk to him about stuff, and then, and then, no matter what you do, Rex kills him because that's what he was paid to do by the Shadow Broker, as mentioned earlier. Um, so, because the Shadow Broker wanted a corpse either way, you didn't, and, yeah, it's a, you can either get more information from him, or you can get, <laughs> or you can, uh, how do you want to put this? Okay. Well, usually I'll end up interrogating him, and then when Rex kills him, I kind of scold Rex and say, Dude, wait for me to tell you to do that crap. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's the parent kind of option, um, obviously. And guys dealing with some Reapers right now. <laughs> what fun. Oh, yeah, four of them. <laughs> this is why I'm excited. Play it, man, because, like, all the backstories, but... Yeah. I have. <laughs> okay, so... I mean, yeah, so you get that information, and, and then you find out that, um... And you find out about Tali, um... Mm -hmm. After you go through... Rex, after you go through Fist's stuff, and you realize, oh, crap, she's... I, I, I think it's either... If you, if you talk to him before Rex shoots him, he tells you that he was going to meet Tali and then betray her... <laughs> Yeah, so you get information about her, and then a timer starts. So if you have, if you are not good at hacking, come back to that area later because there's will, some she will help stuff boost there. that anyway. Yeah, she'll help boost that. Um, and you run and you go find Tally. And Tally's being approached by a Turian and some Salarian operatives, and you have to save her. Yeah, and once you have to get to her, it's very easy to deal with. They're they're not they're they're. They don't, they don't want to say they're slouches, but they're not exactly... You know, they're easily dealt with once you get to, get to her. And then, and then she has some information about... She will have some information that will help you um, deal with Saren. Pretty readily, in fact. And to the point that Saren is effectively... Is immediately stripped of his Spectre status. And is declared rogue. And you and, and Shepard is appointed the first human specter. Alliance control, this is SSB Normandy. Are we here to descend? Yeah. yeah. And that's when you get the Paragon, and and that's when you can start accumulating the Paragon, and yeah. and that's when you can start accumulating the Paragon and Renegade points. Um, and you get a few of each to start with by default, just to. And it's not based on what you did earlier, it's just, it just happens. Um, yeah. And then, 
Yeah. So, and you were assigned, and you were told to go get um, Liara because, because Saren is um, main accomplice or partner, or whatever she is, is the mother of this um, archaeologist who you are then told that you can who you are then told is on this one planet called yeah it, no that's right Pharos is the one with the yeah it's on this planet called Theorem where and for the most part play, players um go get her first because that really does open a lot of options and she's one of the fan favorite characters anyway <laughs> so yeah um yeah, so, yeah, and she's one of the ones that more, that a lot of people liked in romance, myself included. <laughs> so, yeah, and she's fun. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things where and she's essentially the sheltered um, scientist who, who she's a naive as, she's as naive as you would expect for that yeah. sort of. <laughs> Remember how we mentioned the long lifespan of Asari? She is 50. No, she's about 100. Oh, yes, about 100, but she started studying as an archaeologist when she was 50. So she is, she's an itty bitty baby well, compared to her lifespan. Well, I, I think the, I think she mentioned she was essentially the equivalent of like a, um... Teenager? Yeah. Yeah, high school equivalent, but she already has a doctorate. <laughs> At least one doctorate. So, yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah. And, and we should probably talk about the embassies before, and we, do you want to have on the consort now or do you want to wait a bit? Well, that can wait a bit. Okay. I usually do those quests early on. Yeah. But. Yeah. I just didn't want to go too far because we only have 15 minutes on this window here. Okay, so we also go, we also talk about, we also go to the embassies, and that's where you meet the other um, counselor candidate we mentioned earlier, Ambassador Udina, who is not exactly the most stable individual. <laughs> He's an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's very much a politician. Yeah. Um, and, he, and you don't want this right out of the gate, but he is also corrupt, as it turns out. But that's not a surprise, because what politician isn't? Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, corruption, politics are, like, peanut butter. They're just going Yeah. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, and then you have you have the uh, Volus, um, yeah, the Volus and the Alcor share an embassy, and they're and they and they banter a bit. You can you can talk to all these people, and there's also a um, there's also a bar and reception area, um, and in the um, atrium before the uh, before you get to the uh, outside the um, embassies, there's this Indian gentleman who how do you who who's Wife was a victim on Eden Prime. She was she was in the I think she was a marine. And they want to study her sci her body for science. Yeah, which and you had the option and and you can go back and forth between this guy at the uh, I think he was meant to be like a surgeon or something. Basically, what the conflict there boils down to is based upon the this soldier part. and her husband's uh, religious traditions. They need her body back so they can bury her. Or treat her. The details are not important. Yeah. yeah, so basically they need her body. He needs her body so that he can give her a proper funeral. The Alliance wants to keep the body 
for study. For study, because these are wounds from the Geth, and they want to see if there's any major differences between, between other, other wounds, and that it has the potential to, to help save. In, to save lives in the future. I always fall on the side of the husband. Yeah, I mean, I've gone both ways over time. Most recently, I sided with the um, the science team because I mean, it, I guess it, because it depends on your background, and sometimes it can be. A, and it's really a tough decision each time. I I did not take this lightly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always hard to think because they they make both sides make a very good point. Her wounds could potentially save save uh, studying for wounds could potentially save lives but what i always fall back on well at least with that decision is the fact that there are other ways to get the same information yeah. you could study the parts of the geth you could study the weapons you could use that you don't have to use someone's body for that especially not when it goes against that individual's religious beliefs and duncan and i are behind we have very strict laws regarding burial and what can be done with our bodies after death. So yeah, from I, that perspective, yeah, like, that's why choosing so the scientists, I can never do that because I feels like I'm going against my core beliefs. And yet, you know, we should also mention this, that it is allowed to donate your remains or organs to... Yes, you can be an organ donor as long as, long as there's a stipulation that the recipient of your organs be buried according to Baha'i law. Or at least the organ in question removed and also dealt with in the same manner. Um, but that's a bit beside the point. Yeah, but that's that's the main issue. Okay. Yeah, and then there we'll, we'll get to the consort later. Should we talk about the um, Hanar evangelist on the presidium uh, before we get yeah, that out of the way? There is this Hanar <laughs> who is um, preaching about the enkindlers, which is what the Hanar used to refer to the Prothean, the Protheans. Protheans. There's only one R in Prothean. <laughs> yes, well, shut up. <laughs> We've been over that. And um, you have the option to side with a CSEC officer. Who is a Turian. <laughs> who is a Turian. He's basically saying the guy has to have a permit. If he's going to be preaching in this part of the Citadel, or he has to have a permit. That that's, that's just how it works. Which, of course, makes sense. Or you can side with the Hanar, who's of the belief that he should be able to share the message of the Enkindlers freely. There's no reason why he should have to pay have to pay to follow his beliefs. And Which, the way yeah, they you can understand both points. If you wait long enough, you can use speech options to settle a situation. Or I always go to, I always do it too early and have to pay credits to buy his well, you can go back and you can go back several times. You don't have to do it all at once. <laughs> I usually end up doing it all at once, though. Yeah. yeah then there was this, and yeah, I mean, yeah. And the way they talked about it is that they, this has clearly been going on for a while. Like, we don't know the detail. We don't have a cell number, but the way they talk about each other and the, the exacerbation is that this particular Hanar has been a thorn in this officer's side for at least a year or so. <laughs> you know, they clearly have a history, um, and. And then we have this, um, and we also have these two humans, and this will be the last thing we can get here, because this is also, it's in the same general area, the two human, the uh, two in-laws, where the the woman's husband and the man's brother had had a, had died of a genetic um, disease that the brother does not have. But the child and, might potentially have, and how do they deal with the situation? Yeah. That one... Our personal history, um, 
was a bit tricky. I always, I, I usually say that it would be, I, I've done this both ways too, because Kyle, I'll let you explain the details since you're more medically inclined than me. <laughs> Basically, it boils down to, do you side with the woman who is worried that something might happen to her baby as a result of the genetic modification to get rid of the disease? Or the brother-in-law who is worried about the health of the baby if they don't? And this one is always hard because I understand both sides of the equation. From personal experience. From personal experience. (laughs) And... I usually end up uh, how to phrase it. Usually, my basically my answer every time ends up boiling down to you need to listen to each other. You both care about this kid. Do what's best for the kid. And depending upon how the conversation goes, that could be siding with either one of them. So I never yeah. end up really going into that side quest knowing who I'm going to side with, it always depends on who I end up talking to first. Yeah, and there's also, which, and, well, this will be the last time we get to, because this is a rather fun character, at least for me. We also get to meet Barla! <laughs> Barla Van! Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, Barla, he's a, um, he's a Volus. He's a bit of a shady guy. He, works, he also works for the Shadow Broker, though I don't think he has his from his racks yet. Um, but yeah. Yeah, he's a bit, yeah, he, yeah, he's not really a mob boss, but he has that sort of vibe to an extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should probably describe it, right, we'll get more in detail, okay. So, alright, so, and that's it for now, because we don't want, because we're pushing our luck here, so, okay, so, on several fronts, not this recording time. Alright, so, alright, so we will, so we'll end this recording here, and we will, um, Hopefully we'll get back to this in two weeks, but we don't know. There's a lot going on on both ends. Right, yeah. There's no guarantee that we will, but we're we're definitely going to come back to this topic because it's been a fun episode to put together and record, so this is definitely something that we'll return to. Okay. All right, so signing off. Um, and this is, uh, yeah, this is Commander Shepard. This is my favorite podcast. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, yeah. We'll get to that later, too. All right, Kai, do you want to say anything before we sign off? Thanks for joining us, and just thanks for joining us. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, so have fun. Um, hopefully this will help make people pull the proverbial trigger to um, buy the game. All right, so signing off. <laughs>